and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Bottoms. Joining me today, we're trying to enjoy him while we have him around these parts before he runs away and risks it all for Rachel Sennett. It's Daniel Lima. Daniel, how's it going? Uh, you're going to have trouble keeping me here, I swear to God. <laughs> and also joining us, she definitely does not think Amelia Earhart was a fake hero. It's our first time guest who I'm incredibly excited to have here, my friend Monique Wilson. Monique, thank you for being here. Just happy to be here. Thanks for the invite, Josh. Yeah, be nice to Amelia Earhart, okay? I know you have some like strong takes on her, okay? <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Bot- Bottoms is the second feature film from writer-director Emma Seligman, as it is her follow-up to 2021 Shiva Baby, which starred Rachel Sennett, who also co-wrote Bottoms with Emma, and in addition to also starring in it. She plays PJ and Io Edibiri, plays Josie. PJ and Josie are two longtime best friends who are in high school. They are both lesbians and social outcasts, but the movie makes it clear that they are not outcasts because they're lesbians, just because they're talentless losers who are at the bottom of the social hierarchy for unrelated reasons. Uh, and they they, they they have crushes on two of the most popular girls in school, cheerleaders named Isabel and Brittany. They're played by Havana Rose Liu and Kaya Gerber, respectively. A series of misunderstandings leads Josie and Isabel to the principal's office, where they get caught up in a lie that they were trying to start a self-defense club uh, in response to almost getting in trouble for lightly tapping a football player with their car. Um, yeah, it, it is what it is, but it gets us to the point where they have to, they stick with the slide because they see it as a, a chance to ingratiate themselves to their crushes and possibly sleep with them. Uh, Monique, I want to start, I want to start with you before we uh, really jump into it. And I'm kind of curious because I'm not going to give away your age to the listeners. You just had a birthday a couple of days ago, but I think it's interesting because I think you actually came of age in a time where movies like the ones that this one page homage to, they came out a lot more frequently. There used to be like a lot more like high school comedies and stuff like that. So I'm kind of curious as you were watching this, was this like a genre of movie that you were like really into growing up? Did you have like a lot of touch points where you're like, Hey, I actually liked a lot of like goofy high school comedies and you were excited to see a twist on it. Or was it just kind of actually something else that like kind of attracted you and made you want to see this movie? Cause we saw it together a couple weeks ago. And I think you actually brought it up to me first as something that caught your eye as something you wanted to see. So I'm wondering, was it, did you have an appreciation for these kind of movies when you were like in high school yourself? Or was it like, Hey, this just looks like I saw a really funny trailer and I was kind of interested in seeing it. So for me, the high school movie, that was what was advertised to me all through high school and mostly college. So American Pie, Can't Hardly Wait, all those kind of movies who were the big movies of the time. So it was just kind of a throwback to the the exact I, I knew the plot points. I knew exactly mm. what the movie was going to be about. Um, obviously, there's a twist on it because there are lesbians doing this, but it felt like every every other teen movie which I appreciated. I, I love stupid comedy as well. And so <laughs> when they really go over the top, that uh, it's my favorite. Yeah. And they also, one thing I think is interesting is that like, as you, as you noted, they have the twist on it. It's like a different sexuality thing. Like a lot of the movies like this, that like got a lot of attention for years. were just like, you know, horny dudes in high school wanting to get laid and that was it and a lot of those movies are like really funny and i i know and, and i know lots of women that are kind of into that but it's like hey we're gonna like put our own twist on it and like do this set it in 2023 and like do our own thing with it and i think it, it is pretty cool that they were able to like kind of go there with this and i and i thought I, so I was kind of interested it was like hey were you already kind of like familiar with this kind of thing or is it like something you like were just like oh I, I i thought this looked funny so it is kind of curious you had those other touch points for it and this movie is like paying homage to that but like almost on like a in the form of a somewhat of a parody. I think a lot of people like even like noted the fact that like, hey, MS Elgman probably watched not another team movie a time or two also. It's it's like it's hard to miss when like literally the football players wear their football uniforms in class. It's it's like it's it's not trying to like, you know, be based in reality in that way necessarily. It's not even that they're wearing their uniforms. They are wearing like their jerseys. That's something that high schoolers do, but they're wearing their full uniforms with the pads on it. Um <laughs> yes. and the pants. Yeah, no, it's 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 heightened for sure, and and then I think it's 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 an interesting twist on this kind of movie because I think other maybe some certain high school movies in some ways might be, like be grounded in reality in a different kind of way, but like hey, we're gonna kind of just go out and be all all goofy, but like be funny as hell while we do it. Uh, Daniel, this has obviously been on your radar for quite some time. We, you and I have been talking about it and yes, you might have a soft spot for Rachel Sennett, but like that, that alone is not going to make you excited to see a movie or maybe, maybe it would be, but like, oh, I think, I'll, let me say this. Yes, it will. I'll, anything, <laughs> anything she's in, I'm down. Uh, but yeah, no, I was actually interested. I, I saw, um, Alex Seligman's, uh, first film, uh, it was her, her first film, right? Um, Shiva Shiva Baby. Baby. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. I saw Shiva Baby, uh, quite enjoyed it. 
and hearing that she was taking on such a you know a while on the face of it premise uh you know i was i was interested well i'm i'm, I'm what i was curious to ask you about though because like you we, we've all seen it twice at this point i appreciate y'all's commitment to you know the podcast and like making sure you're fresh on it we've all watched it for a second time in the last week but you watched it like around opening weekend like i did too and then we talked about it last night before you had seen it for the second time and you you kind of had a busy day today you weren't sure if you'd be able to make it for the pod and then you you, you like you all of a sudden surprised me later today and we're like hey i just saw it again i'm in for the podcast so i'm curious because i wanted to see it again the second time because bottoms is like very very dense in its jokes maybe even more so than like some high school other high school comedies like it's every other line almost is like something that's funny there's stuff going on in the background that's actually kind of funny and jokes if you blink if you miss it that kind of thing. So that was the primary reason I wanted to see it again. And you, you, you like the movie and I know you wanted to go again. You probably would have, you might've made it again, regardless, even if you didn't do the podcast, but I'm curious, you were like, Hey, yeah, I'm in. And I'm wondering uh, did, what did a second viewing do for you? Was there something about the movie that really kind of resonated with you and clicked with you and spoke to you when you went again and something you came away from it just being especially impressed with what uh, Emma accomplished? Honestly, I think my overall impression is I probably ought to see this a third time. Wow. Because, yeah, no, because genuinely it is so, so dense. Like all the jokes, pretty much every single line is a one-liner of some mm-hmm. kind. Uh, even if it's not like an actual joke, like, you know, the way that it's delivered will sell something about the character that is just inherently funny. Uh, but like you said, there is so much going on in the background. Uh, this film, like you said, is like a parody. It functions as almost a parody of like classic high school coming of age cinema. Uh, not just like, you know, you were mentioning all these touch points all through history we're mentioning greece you know at one point they go to like a 50s-esque diner you know <laughs> but it's also hugh's brother not hugh's brothers it's um what's his name uh, uh landis hugh? yeah 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 um john hughes and uh you know not another teen movie the 90s and the 2000s but they're exacerbating sort of or emphasizing the uh the ridiculousness of these uh these films elevating it to like you know absurdist levels uh I, I, I genuinely it, the troubling thing about it, though, is that I went in to like take notes and like see what I missed the first time. And I was just enjoying it so much on just like that first level that like I didn't take the time to look at like background details. Okay, like, I mean, so one thing I- you make me feel a lot better that you're saying that because I kind of felt bad that I didn't pick up on certain stuff because I went back and I read a review after my second viewing. And I realized it was one I'd already read the first time. And it was the one that made me think I needed to see it again. It was <laughs> the, the critic Vince Mancini, who uh, used to work for Uproxx now as his own blog. He made two different comments in it. One that was like, kind of goes to what I was saying about how like, hey, these girls aren't necessarily outcasts because like they're because because they're great gay. They're just outcasts because people treat them as losers. Apparently at one point, one of the football players like fist bumps like a gay theater nerd and congratulates him on his performance in the high school play or something like that. And yeah, I, and that's I, early and, on. And I, and, and like, right. I, did, I, I did click clock that on the second viewing, but on the first, but I, what I also miss somehow was he, he, he rewrites in his review, many of bottom scenes featured a foreground conversation, driving the plot using background action as a canvas for as many sight gags as Seligman and co can squeeze in like the school's anatomically correct mascot with a huge dong. Okay. I, yeah. I total, no, I did not I, notice I, I totally that. I did that. not. I listened, I listened to an interview with Emma and she mentions this and I'm like, Fuck! How did I miss that? Like, I think I might have noticed it the first time around, but I didn't the second. Right. You know, so I, I was just enjoying the. Things. I was enjoying the jokes and the dialogue and the script so the much. Characters, I'm like, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not exactly. I, I didn't mask mention. I didn't see the mascot with the huge dick. I just <laughs> but didn't. you did. But but you go look in the production design, and yeah, you notice like you know posters that are kind of funny. You notice like I mean like in the principal's office, like you look at the decor, and it's like two wooden swords and like a plastic fish on the wall. You know, like just did you catch the decanter on there too? Like he just has like a thing of liquor just sitting on his desk <laughs> no i did not catch you you, that. you, you would catch that though <laughs> yeah it, it looks like bourbon so you know <laughs> no yeah so it's like again it's it's cool that like with this bigger like because she, like monique i don't know if you've seen shiva baby i would be very curious to hear your thoughts on it um, I don't. If I don't know if we talked about it at all, but like it's you as being someone that is from Jersey and has like a disproportionate amount of knowledge about Judaism for someone that's not Jewish. Uh, it would be funny to see what you actually thought of Shiva Baby, but it all takes place in one house during a Shiva. That and I mean here it's 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 almost it's mostly inside a school, but like it's a much bigger set, so they have more things to play with, and it's cool that like they took it and it's not a huge movie and it's an eleven million dollar budget, but that's more than eleven times what Shiva Baby costs. So it's cool that like she found ways to like really get detailed with the production design and add a lot to it that way. 
obviously we've already mentioned the two lead characters, but like they, they have to populate it around with these other like side characters and stuff like that too. And to like make this feel like, I don't want to say a believable uh, core of high school kids because it's a very mm-hmm. heightened version of high school. But at the same time, like I think like a movie like this, that is this joke heavy, like it would fall flat if these people weren't like incredibly funny. So I'm, I'm wondering, Monique, what did you kind of think as you like, w- whether it be like if you bought like Josie and PJ as like fun character, but like how they kind of filled out the fight club. And were there were there any of these girls that you like particularly like, found funny or gay performances that you like really kind of appreciated as they tried to slide into like such a ridiculous premise for a movie? So really, my favorite person of them all was uh, I can't remember her name, but she liked to sniff paint. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, she would be hot if she stopped sniffing paint. Like she's never the gonna girls stop. Come in and they're paint. like, we we just have sixes. These these are all <laughs> terrible looking people. But you know, she'd be hot. But the sniffing paint just did it. Is that, is that was that? I, yeah, I forgot. I think that girl might have been the one that was named uh, Sylvie, but I'm not sure. Uh, I think that's an actress maybe named Summer Summer Joy Campbell. But like, it's funny because like she's like almost like the most ridiculous one out of all of them. But they like she she, she like is like just screaming for parts of the time and is just like yes. really really like uh, re- re- extremely wired. But like at the same time, like they're just a, a very adds a lot of color to the background of it and like fully buys into that character. And if you Google that actress's name, just totally looks like a normal person. So she was just like <laughs> like just like a normal actress, like you would think like pretty girl with a pretty headshot or whatever. And she's like, you know what? I'm gonna like make them like let me let them make me look incredibly like jacked up for the purposes of this movie and uh and just go for it. And I, I mean, I, I credit her for like jumping in and doing that, you know, I know uh-huh. that th- I know that a lot of the casting, like, you know, uh, apparently Seligman wanted to do like a certain sort of stunt casting. So you have mm. as the teacher, you have Marshawn Lynch mm. uh, for the um, the role of Jeff, the jock, the head jock football player. You've got this guy who uh, apparently Nicholas is Gazel, like Gazel, or something like yeah, that. He's been in a lot of stuff all of a sudden. Yeah, he's been in a bunch of like Netflix uh, rom-coms where he's playing pretty much this role but straight. Well, no, so he see, he was in that movie, some movie that I never saw on Netflix called Purple Hearts that came out last year about like a like a veteran that like marries yeah, a girl for yeah. like health and insurance heard, or something. I heard it. I heard it's awful. Uh, oh. He's also in, funnily enough, he's also one of the leads in Red, White, and Royal Blue. Right. He plays a gay guy. I don't know if he's gay in real life or not, but he plays a gay yeah, guy. No idea. But like, but yeah, this is just a role that he's you know already played like you know in tradition, more traditional YA stuff. So it's funny to see him get to heighten it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you have a uh, I forgot her name, the uh, Isabel's friend, who's like kind of like a model who has so her Ka- own business so, and such. So Ka- Kaya Gerber, who's Cindy Crawford's daughter, had never really acted before. And yeah, she's like a model. She's like an uh, oh, Instagram wow. model. Yeah, she's yeah. an Instagram model. I didn't model, realize so. that was who it was. Yeah, I think she, she, I mean, she's even more than an Instagram model, I think, because like she, because when you're Cindy Crawford's daughter, you probably get to like skip past just being an Instagram influencer model and get to do real <laughs> stuff. But like, but she, but like, I, I saw this somewhere that like she somehow came across the script and just like really liked it and thought it was funny. And like, they weren't like taking like open auditions or open tapes, but she was just like, I really like this. I'd like to be in this movie. I'm going to tape myself reading this role and send it into like the producers. And that's how like she got the role. So mm. it was kind of funny that she's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and cast myself as like the most vapid of the characters who like, again, she, it turns out she is actually smart and people just don't give her credit for it. Right. Right. She's got a jewelry company guys. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody talks about it, yeah. but yeah, no, the script here, I should say, uh, apparently they co-wrote it, right. Uh, Rachel Sennett and uh, Seligman. And I, I should say that like, this reminds me so, so much. I know that a lot of this is improvised. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, the combination of like these sort of outsized performances and this kind of garish, like, you know, uh, grotesque sort of high school production design and all and, and combined with like this sort of narrative, this kind of traditional narrative that's only just heightened by the, you know, the ridiculousness of the situation. It reminds me so much of like David Wayne, like, you know, Red Hot, uh, Wet Hot American Summer and uh, what was it called? Uh, we Came Together. In that, oh yeah, very funny movie. And like, what I appreciate about this is that it's a comedy that embraces the absurdity of these sorts of situations. I have often talked, I think, on this podcast about comedies being too afraid to like do that and like trying to stay grounded in reality. You know, you have these sort of riff contests that, like, you know, the Apatow sort of version of a comedy would be. Um, you could see a version of this which is like super bad or whatever. And I think that 
embrace strong comparisons sort of, to it but it's different yeah oh, it's way different i mean obviously the fact that it's like fucking like an hour and a half is a good fucking indication uh as much as like there's i, I should say there's, there's a lot of like improv in this movie but there's uh i listened to an interview where like seligman's talking about like how much time she spent in the editing bay trying to figure out the perfect way to play a scene whereas i know that like in uh the latter day stages of um what's his name the guy who did super bad Greg Matola? No, the director of Superbad. No, Greg Matola directed Superbad. John Apatow, no, Apatow, yeah, Apatow no, produced. Okay. Yeah, the, this you know you could imagine like in an Apatow movie, like Apatow in the editing, we just go yeah, throw it all together, just throw it all together. But no, like she emphasized like trying to get the best out of every single scene, and in doing so makes every single ridiculous note that it hits that much more. Powerful. So there, were, there, there weren't a lot of jokes that fell flat for you because they they kind of cut it down to the best up is what you kind of felt like. Super sharp. Actually, when the uh, the the end credits, they show a couple of the, you know, the outtake sort of scenes. And truthfully, I'm like watching them going like, oh, yeah, she picked the best versions of these scenes. Hmm. Well, I mean, I, I did enjoy still watching the goofs anyway, you know, but also better to do that than like, you know, have 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 certain scenes go on for uh, go on for one joke too long. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious and I, honestly, I think this does tie into the comedy of it a little bit, but like, I think they were careful to not get like too bogged down in some of that stuff. And like some of the more serious stuff that could let it go on for too long. I think obviously the movie has a little something to say about like, you know, how, how society treats women, violence against women. These women are like some of the women in this movie are like sincerely, actually like sincerely in need of a fight club. They're worried about. You know, one, like the football players being aggressive, but like they're also worried about this rival town, which we didn't talk about yet, called Huntington. And they keep talking about it like this, this, these people are just going to come to kill them, basically. And like they're, they need protection from this other town because like it's just a given that the other town is going to try and murder someone or do something really terrible to them. It, the murdering didn't come out till the end when yes. they actually realized someone was getting murdered. But Pineapple. early on, they were, they were going to get assaulted. Yes. Um, I think Screamy said that she was going to get raped. She yeah. said she's happy to learn a fight because now she knows that she won't get, she'll survive. So there is a scene where like, it's, it's, it's really interesting how they pull it off. Cause like, I, I should also say there's another, there's another actress that is like hanging out with PJ and Josie earlier on. Her name is Hazel. She's played by Ruby Cruz. She's like one of the first other girls that's like tagging along with them. And uh, she's like, Hey guys, I think a lot of girls are getting something out of this. We should actually kind of like bond together instead of just like trying to fight. And uh, PJ and Josie hear that is like, oh, if we get them to talk about our feelings, then they'll want to sleep with us faster. So they have a they have a circle where they're like, hey, guys, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, uh, so, some of like what some of our trauma and unburden ourselves. And I mean, there's there's a moment where PJ opens it up by just straight up just saying, hey, who's your business? Who here has been raped before? And it's like a very, very bold line to like drop into a movie like that. That's a comedy out of nowhere because it's like kind of played for laughs a little bit, but you're kind of also afraid to laugh. And then it's like, but then they actually delve into like, after that, it's like, they say, okay, well, gray area stuff matters. And like all the girls raise their hand. Like, yes, I've had that kind of experience. And then some of them actually like talk about like something like kind of serious. And it's like, a mo it's like, it's like one moment within the movie where it's like, Hey, we're going to get serious for a second. And then Josie uh, has like a very serious speech where I forgot to mention, apparently like at some point a rumor starts that they, Josie and PJ were in juvie and that Josie killed someone there for a few, for a couple minutes before she came back to life. And, uh, and like, I spent the whole first movie. I think I told you this after you left Monique, where I wasn't actually sure if like, like how much we were supposed to believe that the other characters believe they were in juvie, but apparently it became apparent. Like, no, Right. I, I thought it was like a throwaway gag for like a throwaway line at some point where it's like, no, they actually think they've been to juvie. So then Josie gives a long speech about what happened to juvie and everyone takes it really seriously. It's kind of what brings her and Isabel together. And it's like, but it's like the whole thing is a lie, even though IO plays it like very seriously when she's giving the speech. So it's like the, the movie is kind of like like this this character is like lying through her teeth as she gives this very serious thing that's supposed to be a trauma where all these other girls who have genuinely shared their traumas are bonding. Isn't it just me or when Josie was sharing that speech, it sounded like Hunger Games. Hmm. Yeah, no, she actually said she actually says like, you know, every <laughs> night I would volunteer as tribute. <laughs> like, she, she, <laughs> yeah. Right. So it, it, it's, I, I should it's, say, yeah, no, that scene is genuinely one of my favorite scenes of the year. Because well, so I was of wondering just, how you guys felt about how it, like how that scene struck its tone where it's like it's it, like a certain John Appleton movies. Some might say try and do too much where they try and get a little too melodramatic in the third act and it makes the runtime go two hours and 10 minutes. And but like at the same time, like a movie's trying to be lean and 90 minutes long. So I was going to ask you guys, like, did you feel that like the movie in that moment, like, was that a good way for the movie to kind of like 
pay, like, you know, address kind of some of the serious issues that kind of like underpin the, the comedy that is this movie in a way that effectively then gets it back to the funny stuff. Like, do you thought they struck that balance? Well, is what I wanted to ask you. I think it was good that they brought it in there, mm-hmm. but I like that as soon as it started getting a little bit too serious, Josie brought the hunger Games story in. I thought really poignant was the uh, story. The one girl who said that she was getting, um, she was stalked. Her, her stepdad. Oh, oh yeah, the stalker girl. Yeah, because they play. It's like she talks about it like she's not really sure how bad it is, but it's like no, that's really messed up. That's it's the police really are doing bad. that. To. Yeah, <laughs> she calls the police and they say they're gonna. Um, they're only not when he threatens to kill her. <laughs> right. It's like, but he's threatening to kill me, so I don't know. <laughs> she, she she said like, so that's like really annoying. No, genuinely, that scene is. I think like an absolute masterclass, one of the best scenes of the year, just because mm. of how she navigates, how that script and those characters navigate talking about something absolutely serious that actually affects these characters, people in the audience, and yet injecting just enough satire, but also that same absurdist vein of comedy, while still having a bit of sincerity, like the fact that after that gray stuff counts two and everyone raises their hands, the first thing that gets said is, oh, my stepdad, the, the same character who's like, I want to kill my stepdad. So you assume she's going to say something really dark, says something like uh, he really wants to do like family movie night, <laughs> which right. is a completely benign sort of concern. And then, you know, the next thing, which is what we just talked about. And then you launch into this really absurdly over-the-top story that's a lie that's funny but it's also being played to the movie itself like i think there's like a score under it that's like at playing it as if it were a serious scene you say uh, this, this the score is composed in part by charlie xcx who's you know yeah and great score honestly yeah and who's who's like a well-known pop star but like also did have a song on bottom so she like became friendly with rachel Sennett around that time and they got her involved in this movie too they cap off that scene though as like you said they kind of they tread that serious subject matter, that terrain pretty well. And then it's like they end it with Marshawn Lund saying, I'm getting a divorce. <laughs> he was so funny in this movie. I, I know like a lot of his stuff was ridiculous, but that scene where he's just like, and so they tell you you're supposed to be together for like, and he just goes on and on. It was that was good. Yeah. Did, 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 so you actually did you, did you enjoy him, Daniel? And I don't know, like I don't, you're not you're not as big of a sports person as uh, Monique and I are. And I'm wondering, like, if you even knew who Marshawn Lynch was or kind of oh, like, oh, what... come on, I know Marshawn. Yeah, no, he was I mean, he's like, a funny you know, guy. like his persona. Like, OK, yeah, no, so you no, know, I know, I know. Yeah, he was. Like, okay. Yeah, I'm aware of his persona. I remember like when he would do those like press conferences where he would just not say anything because he just didn't care. I'm just here so I won't get fined wearing a helmet, but also eating Skittles like he's a he's a character. Yeah, no, I, I know that uh, I think he got cast because of his uh, that that um, that improv show where it was like a detective thing, but like they would get like a famous that, yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's why he was cast. And so he would just improv. I think pretty much every line that he said was improv. Well, I actually heard that to his credit. I heard that like he came to set like wanting to like he's like, yo, teach me. Like, direct me. I want to, like, learn the lines. I respect your craft. And they're like, no, you're just funny. Like, be yourself. He manages to make every single stray, like, man, I knew women were evil. They tell you that they're not, but... Oh, no. When they first try to get him to sponsor the club and he's like, wouldn't it be better for you to get, like, a woman teacher? And they're like, yeah, we were thinking about getting a woman teacher for the feminist club, but, like... We kind of we kind of hate all women, and he's like, yeah, it makes sense. Like complete deadpan. I, I, I actually, I was about to say like I could go wrong, but like I think I don't I don't know if there's been that many real athlete cameos in movies in like recent years. It's been eight years since Trainwreck, and I thought LeBron was pretty funny in Trainwreck actually. And I agree. um, in theory, that's the kind of thing that could go poorly. But I think most directors that like would make a movie worth seeing are smart enough not to like cast an athlete that's going to just drop the ball so that's why you don't see it happen that much and like you said you know maybe some apatow movies go on too long but like i don't think i think judd apatow got about as much as you could have expected someone to get so out of lebron james so i guess credit to him for that as ridiculous as it is that that bill Hader character is just best friends with lebron james for some reason like at least lebron was funny enough that you didn't care and here like marshawn is just like incredibly funny even though like you would never actually like expect an like a, a social studies teacher to be that guy in like if, and if you did, it would be the guy that is the football coach. But, like, he's definitely not the football coach or else we would have, like, learned that because the football team plays, like, a pretty, like, big role in this movie. Uh, that was kind of interesting that they didn't do that because he, se- he seemed like the perfect, like, football coach, social studies teacher where, like, no one's learning anything and he's just – in fact, when the girls talk, walk up to him to talk to him about that uh, class or to be their advisor – 
he's looking at a magazine. It's like a nudie magazine. It's called <laughs> Divorced and Happy. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't read the title, actually. I, my vision is so bad. So thank you for that. It was the problem was for me, like kind of like you guys, I was trying to really dive deep into it the second time watching through. And I just got pulled away with the jokes. And I was like, OK, I'm supposed to really be focusing on like things in the background, stuff that's going on. But it was one thing I was able to see in um, one of the articles that was on the front was Big Booty Hose. And I thought, <laughs> but yeah, and like, and, and like, yeah, and it would have made sense for that guy to be the, to be the football coach or something. And, but at the same time, like it also allows for the gags of like, what's on the chalkboard. Cause there's a couple of different funny moments of like just stuff he has written on the chalkboard where it's like why there haven't been any women presidents and why there shouldn't be when he all of a sudden like turns like kind of bad at the end when things are going really poorly for them. And it's like, all right, now this guy's like reverting to all of his worst impulses involving women after like helping empower this group. And he's just like writing like the most offensive stuff on the board. No, I couldn't even, I tried like paying attention to what was on mm -hmm. the board in the early scenes. And I just, mm -hmm. I just, it was just hard because like, mm -hmm. there's just so much there, like every single stray thing on there. I think this is a movie that's going, I'm going to probably pick up that Blu-ray because I just need to be able to pause and look at all the background details. Well, I mean, yeah, it deserves you giving the money to its Blu-ray though. It's also, I think distributed or by MGM. So it should be, I would think it's going to be on Amazon prime before the end of the year too. So that'll be, very nice to be able to just go back and easily pause it and look at all the fun uh small smaller little jokes um yeah no i actually yeah. did order i actually did order the blu-ray for their first movie uh shiva baby because i mean honestly they were selling it for like ten dollars and i was like all right well and there's a commentary track and everything so sorry money oh no worries let me ask you this like so yeah. you got this movie is supposed to be like based out of 2023 right mm -hmm. is that the year because if you look at the costume design in this movie it's I mean, and I, I I don't know what the kids, I'm not hip and happening. I'm oh. not, you know. Oh, as opposed cool. to me, as opposed to me, I'm so down with the kids. Are, like, are you I know. With the oh, oh, yeah. Hello, fellow oh, children. Like, so, oh, yeah. I, I'll, I'll give this question to you then. No, I'm, I'm just <laughs> kidding. So the clothes look like late 90s, early 2000s clothes. I don't know if that's back in or what, but if that was it on its own, I'd say, like, oh, it's because it's that's what the kids are wearing now. And I use the word kids because I'm old. Um, but there are certain things in the movie, like when um, Jeff is listening to his music, he has a discman, which is very <laughs> oh, specifically. I didn't even catch that. Did you? Oh, did you guys notice? So there's the scene. So Jeff is like, he's very hapless. Like you know, he's he's not supposed to be a nice guy, but he's also like so kind of pathetic at the same time. But they have this other football player. Uh, I think his uh, Miles. His, his name's Tim. Yeah, uh, actors Miles Fowler, who I feel like I've actually might have seen in something before. He's like the one that's sinister, and like the club actually begins to gain a little bit of popularity, and he's like the one that wants to break this it up. This is on letter. Like... I won't say on letterbox. He only has one other thing. Well, maybe I'm thinking of a different name for the actor then, or another actor that has a similar name. I don't know, but like he he he's the one that like takes it upon himself. He's like, I want to break up this club. I don't like that the women are becoming empowered. At, at one point, they show him like leaning against the fence at the football stadium, making a call to check on their juvie records because that's just something. He's using a phone book. He's using a no. He's a flip. He was using a and a flip phone. Like it was like a, it was like <laughs> a razor even, phone. See, man, I didn't even notice the flip yeah. phone. God, like, this is 2023, this so, right? This guy's this a flip phone. So good. Yeah, no, I, 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 I she uh, apparently Seligman like deliberately wanted to use production design elements and costume design elements that were made that created like a sort of timeless feel where you couldn't exactly place like when the movie is taking place again, like when they go for dinner, uh, uh, uh Ao Itabiri mm -hmm. and um. Uh, well, Isabel, uh, Isabel um, who, by the way, is wonderfully played by Havana Rose Lou. Uh, you saw No Exit. I want to watch No Exit. She's the No Exit is right? super good. She was one of my like, I think one of my five for best actress. Really? That year. I don't remember yeah. you saying that. Yeah. I, I, if she wasn't, she was like she barely made it all, like didn't make it because she was so good. It's like such a like star performance. I heard about that movie at some point last year and just didn't get around to watching it. It's on Hulu, Monique. And to my knowledge, it's about some people trapped in a gas station during a blizzard or something. Yes. Yeah. It's sure. like a, a locked room sort of mystery oh, sort of thing. And okay. like and and like she is so good in this movie because she plays it so straight. Mm -hmm. Like there's like a scene where she's like talk after she breaks up with Jeff. She's talking to Aoi Tabiri and she's like, you know, I miss I, I miss certain things. Like I miss when he would. And she's like she like laughs wistfully to herself. And she's like, I, I miss when he would like brush my hair and say, Blondie, Blondie or something. And she's no, shiny, 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 shiny. Or she's like <laughs> or she's like people people acting violently on my behalf. Those kind of gestures mean a lot to me. That, that's my love language. Yes. Um, and she's no, no, so, second, so sincere. And the second is gifts. 
<laughs> and yeah, no, love that. Um, Whenever but, he gets uh, back together with Jeff too, the jumping into his, his arms. Oh yeah, like, every time, so every time. I'm so strong. Um, I forgot. I, I went on a total. Oh, no, we we're talking about the there. costumes though. And I, I the honestly, costumes, I yeah. didn't even necessarily pick up with that. I, I, I really only noticed it with uh, PJ and Josie how like they had a very specific kind of style where like uh, Josie's kind of wearing like all the like she's dressing like more of a tomboy and like like and PJ's just wearing kind of like these like more outlandish overall based uh, <laughs> outfits or whatever. And like I think I, one of the bloopers is like you know you're wearing you're over you're wearing like uh, suspenders <laughs> over your tits like. A fucking no, like a nipples. fucking freak your nipples. your nipples like a freak yeah yeah no so like i mean i that that, that, that so so you said you saw an email or not an email you said you saw an interview with emma where she like was just one to like kind of aesthetically have that vibe in certain parts of the movie right Daniel. yeah because because like you know often these sort of queer stories uh well not often these queer stories never got you know, used in those sorts of settings in the settings of these sort of classic coming of age high school movies that, you know, that she grew up loving. So well, she especially, wanted to especially, especially of... for women. Like, I mean, like, I no, think exactly. I talked to Monique a little bit this about that after the movie. There's like a whole like give lesbians electricity movement on, online that came out after Portrait of a Lady Empire, which is a great movie. But at the same time, it's just like, you know, even less so for men, like for women, like any of those kind of stories, like they're just like set in like the 1700s before like power was a thing. So oh, yeah, was, yeah, 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 yeah. So, centering it in like as like a central place in sort of the cosmos of this brand of cinema. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that as as funny as the movie is and it has like as like, you know, like they they it does have like a point. The movie does have a, a point like you see in that scene that we were talking about that it does have these sorts of issues on its mind. But it's a comedy first and foremost. But uh, I think that the sort of like clear importance that it's playing in like you know centering these sorts of stories in like the queer experience i think i mean not, not a queer person myself but like i think that it's genuinely like very moving you know to see in this setting I, I toward the end where like you know normally the big kiss goes to like you know your traditional big white male lead and his girlfriend and here you have like you know if i'm not saying two people of color you know two women of color having that same sort of moment and having it have the same sort of power even in the universe of this film no yeah it's definitely different and i give them credit for like wanting to go there with their when they had a chance to make a movie like this um you, you kind of skipped over some stuff there though at the end uh i want to talk about that fight scene uh because like oh, you know you. so, yeah. so we, we, we we didn't talk that much yet about like the the, the gymnasium fights it's when they're training i thought that stuff was well done and like kind of shocking at the right moments and fun to watch them do it but at the same time they did feel like the kind of fights in theory you could just have if some kids started a fight club and then they get to this final scene and honestly the plot is kind of convoluted as to why they need to storm the field anyway aside from like wanting to save them from like huntington it's like you need to go like make out with this person have a distraction or like we need to run to this side of the field and set up a bomb it doesn't really matter because it's all done in like a very funny way it's just like the matter of fact way in which it's like yes you can go do a bomb in five seconds and <laughs> you just kind of accept it I, I i did get i did get a kick out of that but it's like at the, at the ultimately whatever they got they got to fight the other football players and uh and for some the girls have to do it to defend these football players players they've been uh trying to like you know get revenge on all movie it doesn't necessarily track that much but it doesn't matter when you do it in a funny way but on top of the on top of it being a fight it's a fight that they take to the levels that we necessarily we haven't really seen in a done in this way probably since the fight in anchorman and uh which i think is like the closest analog you can think to this kind of thing where they just all of a sudden take it to this level where yep you know people die but we're not gonna like uh we're, we're not gonna let it ruin our vibe and i'm wondering uh monique what, do you, what did you think when all of a sudden the movie kind of elevates into this other place that might not be realistic but it's pretty damn funny i really like i i went from like just liking the movie to loving the movie i love a ridiculous fight scene and they were killing the people and they actually mentioned it at the end like i <laughs> We've definitely killed some people <laughs> while they're, they're celebrating. like, no, you killed them. No, you killed them. <laughs> <laughs> the first person that like was obvious that got killed was Screaming Girl. She finally got to use a sword <laughs> and it was too heavy for her. And somehow it ended up straight up and a guy fell on it. And she, I was like, she, she, not, she knocked herself over because she couldn't handle it. So she's just laying on the ground with it standing up in the air. I thought to myself, this guy's dead. And I was like, that's where we're going. Okay. And they just kept going with it. I mean, there's some, you know, kicks to the head and just like, there's no question that they're not getting up from, from like the fight. And as proof that they're not getting up from the fight at the end, when they're having the kiss scene and everything else and everyone's celebrating, 
They're still laying on the ground. Yeah. Wide <laughs> shot with all the bodies, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. By the way, in that wide shot, when there's like a moment of silence after the 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 melee ends, uh, someone in my theater just like to the, like just out loud in amazement was like, "She fucking killed that guy with a sword," and we all just started <laughs> laughing like crazy. Great crowd experience. Um, I will say that when it comes to the actual action, while super funny. I loved the way that it. You're not going to crap on this action, are you? Already crap on the action in every movie. You're going to really crap on this action. This is fun. In a in a way, uh, okay. on on the one hand, I appreciate the fact that yes, uh, they're used. There's there's no doubling being done. These are all the actual cast doing this, and yeah, there's a limit to how much Rachel Senate or uh, Havana L- Rose Lou is going to do in an action set piece. So you've got to accommodate their ability when you're constructing the sort of action scene and to its credit the action is workable honestly especially considering that these are not trained stunt people at the same time there's a part of me that kind of wishes that the action had the same sort of i don't know like a part of me wonders like if this movie had action that was more stephen chow or even jackie chan like would it have been a little funnier, like a bit of, a little more well choreographed, a little more expressive in the movement. That being said, on the second watch, I, I do love the gymnasium fights, like that first montage of them training each other uh, because it's so because it's so clumsy, because when they do hit each other, it feels like a real person just punching a real person. They're bloodied and it feels sort of brutal in the way only untrained people can feel like you know like watching an actual fight on youtube or whatever what about the what about the pep rally when hazel has to fight the football player like that 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 would actually i think they shot that one a little wider so it was i'm curious what you thought about that yeah good stuff um it's one of those things where like you have to show that this is you know she's brutally getting taken down by this big guy but also you have to make it somewhat comedic uh because but also because of the absurdist tone of this movie in general you have to make it feel impactful it's a tricky balance to handle and i think that they do so pretty wonderfully with that last scene though that's where i'm like if you don't need to go full like scott pilgrim or like you know to compare it to a far lesser movie in every single way polite society but at the very least i don't know i wish that they would have had more time to maybe choreograph something a little better maybe like uh, and this is, I think, Emma Seligman's first time doing any sort of action. So, like, maybe it's unfair to compare her to one of the greatest action filmmakers ever, Yen Wu-Ping. But, you know, you watch, like, Red Wolf and you see the fight scene that he choreographs with, like, somebody who knows how to fight and somebody who doesn't. And I, I, I wish it had that sort of energy. But this is still pretty good stuff, especially for, like, a first-time indie comedy. Let me ask you this, though. So, they didn't learn anything at Fight Club. Like... They didn't. So <laughs> would it really make any sense for them to actually be able to fight well? Like That's you know? fair. That's an absolutely fair take. And I, I I did have that thought while watching. To that, though, I would also say it doesn't make any sense that their mascot has a huge penis, a huge <laughs> human penis. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a silly, ridiculous sort of movie. So I think we could have made that sort of like mental it would have just been just adding to the absurdity of the entire I, th- I, th- I think once the final fight became that absurd i just kind of I, I just kind of was like along for the ride i wasn't i, I wasn't oh, yeah. to be clear this is a fairly minor concern on my yeah, part yeah, yeah, no, like no, it's no, this yeah. is not this is not like when i watch like the expendables and it's horrible action which is an actual action movie from a veteran you know but yeah. like the, uh, sly stallone and the producer should have just hired emma seligman they would have been yeah, i mean fresh. honestly this is I, i'll say this emma Far better action than uh, the Expendables franchise. Far better action than I would say most um, most American studio action films today. Uh, I actually heard that she she was like very she had a lot of fun doing the action scenes, and apparently they did not shoot for coverage. Like she knew what she wanted, and like the actual like final product looks pretty much like how she originally envisioned it. And that's that's genuinely very good for like a first time action pr- director. So like she said that she wants to go into more genre spaces and i i would love to see that i saw like one one uh, article on the ringer that was like more broadly about how uh io and rachel senate and molly gordon are like you know like all like friends that have been in each other's stuff and they're like kind of a new generation of comedians and they're like oh and the the writer's like oh well the the next time they any of them do a movie they should all three of it be in the movie and it should be like a a horror comedy directed by emma seligman instead uh so you know i think she could pull it off you know 
Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's funny that uh, one of the producers on this film is Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, who I remember your favorite like, director, right? Because from such classics such as Cocaine Bear that you, we know you're yeah. such a huge fan of. Monique, did you like? Did you see Cocaine Bear? I I sure did. What'd I sure think? did. Look, I <laughs> Josh and I are always on separate sides with movies because he looks it for it for some sort of like cinematic like greatness. I, I didn't just come enjoy. Into Cocaine Bear at the, there are good scenes in Cocaine Bear. I just I just you know. That was probably one of my favorite parts about this whole movie. It was an hour and a half. You know, um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of movies take themselves seriously, and it's nice to watch movies that don't. Was Cocaine Bear a movie I'm going to watch again? Probably not. But <laughs> for the time I watched it, you know, I sometimes you see movies and you're like, I wish I could get that time back. That was not one of them. Well, I will say, while I absolutely 100% respect that, I absolutely agree that I love a movie that just gets in and gets out, has no greater ambitions than to entertain you. I will say that that is a movie that I walked out and I regretted every decision that I've made up to the point that I saw that movie. Every <laughs> single solitary decision, waking up that day and going to the movies, uh, the fact that like you know I didn't move out of the state like years ago. Like, I don't know every single decision that led to me being in that theater at that time. Yeah. I mean, but- that's one that we were on different sides of money, but like, I will maintain that cocaine bear has at least two scenes that I think are great. They include the first one with Matthew Reese, like dancing high on the plane. And the one in that actually happened in the park ranger office with the bear, like those had like a different energy. I feel like than a lot of the others. Like I, uh, I thought, well, I will <laughs> say, I will but Daniel's say really that- the one that's on the opposite side of you from that Monique. I will defend parts of that movie, even if I didn't love it. Yeah. I, I can't, I don't have it in me, but <laughs> I will say that like watching this, like I was like, okay, I forgive you, Elizabeth Banks. Um, I okay. forgive you for putting me through cocaine there because this genuinely does have that sort of like, even though this isn't explicitly like a genre movie in the same way, it does have the same sort of like fun verve that a movie like that cocaine bear was aiming for and just mm. didn't really cross the finish line for me. Uh, so really really enjoyed this one monique is are there any parts of bottoms that we didn't already talk about that you would like to shout out that we you just didn't get a chance to mention throughout the movie it's this running gag that the kids write things on the friends lockers like that's something they do and <laughs> every single time there's this black guy who's i guess i don't know if he's like a janitor or he's like is it school custodian yeah he's the custodian the custodian excuse me he he's supposed to like clean it off and like at the beginning, you know, yeah. <laughs> they wrote for something them. terrible on it. And they're like, you know, Josh, can you take care of it? Or he had a name like Pete. Terry, I think it was Terry. I think it was Terry. Terry, can you take care of it? He, he just he was holding up the paint. And he was ready to fix it. <laughs> and then at the very end, when like they Things turned against them. their <laughs> their popularity, he's like, they're like, can you fix this? And he just walks away, <laughs> shakes, shakes his, his head. head. <laughs> You don't know. I that, love that. That was a great bit. joke. That was a great joke. Yeah, like the, like the, this this uh their failure has like shamed the in, them in the eyes of the entire community. Speaking he of the community, have a single word. He he had no <laughs> lines. And you know what? Was, Brilliant performance. He just shook his head and walked away, and I was like, "Man, this is that guy's not even on IMDb." I, yeah, I was yeah, I know. I'm trying. I was. I'm actually on IMDb looking. Also, I will say that there's um a character there. I forgot her name. But they, they refer to her as uh, their gay Yoda. It's, no, it's uh, Rhodes played by Punky Johnson. I was I, that was that was the thing I was going to shout out. I thought that was a funny scene. See, it's funny because it's a funny scene. But at the same time, I, I wish there was a little bit more of a setup because like the only setup you have to like who that lady is, is like a couple scenes beforehand when um when Isabel first goes to AOA. To B- I, I like that I'm calling the character Isabel, but AOA to Beery is just AOA to Beery. But when she goes, when they first hook up she sees a photo of ao and uh rachel senate together and that's when you get the backstory of oh we met each other when we had the same babysitter and like that's the only setup to who mm-hmm. that character is and her place in their lives and like i don't know like i, I mean i, I just thought, i kind of thought it was implied like hey they grew up with her a little bit as a babysitter and you know, they like when they came know, in terms of their fine. sexuality, like, like she was a she was a resource. And I know it's fine. But like also it just feels a little odd to have like a, such a central character to their lives, a central character to the narrative of the film, like get only one bit of setup, even if the setup was like earlier in the film, 
I think it would have probably like made it a little more impactful when she finally shows up. But I mean, still a very funny scene <laughs> um, when she like she says like her last line of the scene is like some garbled mess. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't I didn't understand a word of that or something <laughs> like so perfectly timed. I will say that even though we've been talking about the, the entire cast in bits and pieces, but like. Aoi Tabiri might be in my five for best actress because mm, she is damn. absolutely incredible in this movie. Uh, Rachel Sennett, you know, I love Rachel. Uh, and I think that she might be a nominee in my personal ballot for like original screenplay. Future, oh, I thought you were going to say future wife, but yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. But like like every so, single scene that so she you, managed. You, you, I texted this Monique before the podcast. You, you So you saw that she improvised that whole thing leading into the car where she was talking about her life if she didn't have sex in high school. That was hilarious. Not, if that's yeah. Im- that's improv, oh yep, man, apparently. she's she is. When she said, will, "Will you come to dinner on Sundays <laughs> <laughs> with me and this future gay husband?" <laughs> oh man, beautiful stuff. Like she genuinely, like she manages to get a lot of heart out of this character while still nailing all these comic beats. Like when they're first riffing about like what happened in um in juvie, where she's like, "Oh yeah, I punched a girl so hard that she died." <laughs> But then she's she like, came no, back. I didn't actually kill her. Because she came back to life like five minutes later. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then they had a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> she needs to have that little bit of emotional catharsis at the end of the story because she, it's such a fine balancing act of this character who wants to like you know she genuinely is attracted to this girl Isabel and she wants this thing to happen, but she also feels somewhat guilty about it. And I don't know, she manages to play all these sorts of emotions right across her face. Uh, it's a genuinely like fantastic performance. The 20 year plan at the beginning. What was the 20 year plan again? She's going to ignore her. She's not going to say a single word to her. And then she's I'm not going to say a word to the bitch. Right. <laughs> In a white suit for the 20 year reunion. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, 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 I mean, like Daniel said, like, I'm very much looking forward to like this movie being available and streaming so I can just go back and like just like examine it and like try and pick up on a lot of jokes because I'm. I'm sure there's like I'm sure there's like a lot of other stuff. Uh, yeah, looking that, through my notes, I can see like uh, there was a post a banner at the cafeteria that was like "You are what you eat," and there's like a picture of an anthropomorphic piece of shit. <laughs> 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 and uh, there's like little moments like uh, when Marshawn Lynch is in class and he's like, "Yeah, the Holocaust, it happened," and then before <laughs> and then the like kind of like goth looking kid raises his hand. He's like, "Yes." It did. <laughs> like he knows that what kid. he's gonna say. That kid was the one that wanted to set off the bomb, right? Yeah, but he they, did set off the bomb, didn't he? They, no, no. At the end, the bomb goes off. That like uh, uh, a ruby placed, mm-hmm. and then what you get a clip of him. No, no, no. Because he's like, no, that was supposed to be my thing in the end That's credits. His plan. And actually, I love that you get the him building the plan when he gets like food dumped on him in the cafeteria, and he's like. That's it. I wasn't going to do it. He opens a book and starts writing like plan to blow up school. He was just trying to draw. He was just, <laughs> just trying, trying to draw. draw, just trying to make it through the day. Well, Although, Pineapple like, did it. If you look, if you look at like the background in the first scene that he's in, uh, like, again, like when you see these these comic sort of scenes playing out in the foreground and the background. So you have like them talking about the club in the foreground, but in the background, all the extras seem to be doing just whatever like he's getting like carried by the football player and they're playing like you know they're throwing like a piece of paper around but like it's so clearly like extras just not knowing what to do but just doing whatever and it makes no sense what they're doing like what is this class even and it just moments like that i just need to be able to rewind and watch every single frame of this movie. So I, I have two final things I wanted to touch on. One, for some reason, uh, oh, actually, one, actually, first, Daniel, did you laugh as much at the Black Republican joke as Monique and I did? <laughs> I laughed both times. Like, I, I think I was the only one in the theater just like fucking exploding <laughs> with laughter. Uh, how, 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 by the way, how was your theater experience? Before I talk about Mona, they're on it. And did, did, for, was either one like particularly crowded or did, was there anyone else on the same page as you that seemed to be enjoying it? First one was super crowded with a bunch of Gen okay. Z kids who like were fucking digging the movie. Mm-hmm. I think there were they were a little more like, what even are we watching than I was? But, you know, hats off to them. It was a really great crowd experience. And the mm-hmm. second time, just today, it was, you know, like maybe like four people in the theater. But there was there was a good amount of laughter. You know, it's a different sort of vibe in the room. But like me and the guy behind me were both like 
laughing it up. Gotcha. No, yeah. The, the, so that when Monique and I went the first time, there was definitely a guy behind. There was definitely a family behind us that like like a mom and dad that brought their like their fifteen year old son, and was like, "You have no idea how awkward this is about to be for you." Uh, <laughs> and to their credit, they didn't walk out. But I just like I couldn't I couldn't believe that that was like some like fifteen or sixteen year old kid just like went went to that movie with his parents. Monique, how was your second time? So there was a. You did you, did, was, did you get a theater that had an air conditioning? Because I I know the yeah, one. Yeah, thank God, okay. thank God. <laughs> so our our local CMX or I I say local. Josh pointed out it's twenty it's minutes twenty away. minutes away, but like they they've not had an air conditioning in like half the theaters the whole summer. Oh, that's awful. It's it's unreasonable. It it really is unreasonable. But this one was well air conditioned, so that was good. <laughs> there weren't a lot of people there though. Um, but there are a group about four or five. Gen Zers, yeah, but they they love the movie. Good. They they were digging the jokes, and because they were laughing, it made me focus less on the background. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna blame them, and more <laughs> just the jokes. I was like, oh, wait till this one comes up. They're gonna love this one. Uh, no, you know. yeah, no, just see how the crowd reacts the second time around. That's yeah, okay. Like I said, Daniel and I didn't do a good job of picking up on the background jokes uh, the second time, like we wanted to either. Um, but like you know, it's good good to know that like the kids were enjoying it. I I hope it I hope it sticks around in th- theaters and makes a bit of money because it made like incredible per screen averages, like as much as everything every roll at once did its first weekend. But like it still hasn't like hit its budget yet on its bo- total box office growth. So slowed down a little bit. Unfortunately, um, but you know, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad the people that are going are enjoying it. It's uh, been well received. Uh, the other, the other thing I wanted to la- note that I laughed at a lot. And it's a small thing, but for some reason, like I, I really laughed both times. Where that, where Ruby accidentally set the bomb up for 15 seconds instead of 15 minutes. Like I don't know why, but like that just like really made me laugh a lot. And it was like it was like it made me laugh the first time, and for some, and then I laughed even harder when she messes it up at the football game, and then it doesn't go off until until later. But for some reason, like that, just like I just really got a kick out of that, and quite and quite enjoyed that as well but yeah no i think that about like sums it up guys i think we pretty well covered it uh and unless i'm forgetting something but i think we uh i think we were pretty, pretty well talked about the movie and it was just again really well done all the performances really funny and but it, it really got all the all everything else beyond that uh right as well in my opinion uh daniel we, we talked last night is there are there any other movies you want to recommend that we didn't that, that, that you've been watching recently or anything else that we you haven't already gotten a plug in the last week well, yeah, no, no, no. Like the, uh, we already talked about no exit, which I was planning mm-hmm. on plugging. But something I yeah. forgot is that I, uh, I actually recently saw the Nun Two, mm. which, uh, yeah, piece of shit. But it reminds me of a, <laughs> this is for recommending it, stuff that you want the listeners to watch. Well, it reminded me of an even like a, a, the good version of that movie, mm. uh, which would be uh, uh, the Seventh Curse. Well, mm. maybe version of that movie is a bit but it reminded me of a movie that did that sort of thing better the seventh curse is a hong kong action movie it's like 78 minutes long you can find it on tubi and uh trying to describe the plot is a fool's errand uh there's like this thing about black magic in the jungle then they're sacrificing virgins and this guy gets cursed and he gets this curse put on him that like is making uh i think his skin fall off or something like that so he has to go back and like face the demon sorcerer that that did it but really what it is is a mashup of like five different kinds of movie you've got like the kind of vietnam era like war movie going on you've got a martial arts film you've got this cat three body horror going on it's so bombastic it goes from scene to scene with a kind of pace that no film made today ever has been able to like mimic and it just flies from tone to tone with this sort of speed that's like breakneck it's got such vision to it every single element from like the huge action set pieces to the fights to the body horror it's just absolutely brilliant there's an alien ripoff at one point like an actual like xenomorph that looks like it might have been just a spare suit from Alien or something like that. Just genuinely balls to the wall. Gonzo sort of like, they don't make movies like this anymore. Can't recommend it enough. Also, I think I've talked about it before, but The Devil Conspiracy, that might actually be the better version of The Nun 2, like, you know, mm. straight up. Two hours long. I believe it's on Hulu right now or something. Uh, it's a movie where, like, a satanic conspiracy uh, decides to clone Jesus Christ and make him into the Antichrist or something like that. I think the Archangel Michael comes down to Earth in a leather jacket and a shotgun ready to, to face off against the Satanists. Really crazy sort of stuff. Harkens back to 2000s era, like 
underworld style attempts at a franchise really recommend that one honestly i would i normally say good recommendation when people say this but that's that shit sounded so wild i can't even say people are gonna like it or not but i'm glad that you did you and uh, and just went there anyway and said what it is monique you know you know what you listen to the podcast regularly you know what part of the time this is and i know you're always watching stuff is there anything you've been watching whether it be an old thing or a new thing or a tv show or anything you've been watching recently that you particularly enjoy that you want to shout out and want people to watch so uh this this is super old and finished a long time ago, but I just finished Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm. And it's actually a decent TV show. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed all of the seasons. And uh, I'm happy I, I finally know what people are talking about when they talk <laughs> about the show. Uh, for forever, I was like, I don't, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> as far as movies, though, I just saw TMNT which I thought was a cool redo of um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They changed up the story a little bit, which hurts my heart because I'm an originalist. I watched uh, the cartoons growing up, and I watched Turtles 1 through 3. Um, maybe a little bit sad that they changed it up, but I, I thought it was, it was good. They did it really well. And I want to say Io did the voice. Yeah, yeah the voice. She's in it, yeah. For April O'Neil. Um, they added a little color into it. Um, April O'Neil's black in this one, and she's in high school. And also, like, over the course of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they used to just all look alike with different colors. Like, um, now they actually look different. Donatello wears glasses on top of his ninja mask, which I don't really know how good that is for fighting, but that's neither here nor there. I, I, I genuinely enjoyed watching it. I watched it in a theater all by myself. And I had the best time. Are you planning on watching Legend of Korra? I started Legend of Korra. Mm. A lot of people said, don't watch it. It's not good. But no, I think no, he, no, no, no. Watch it. Watch it. The animation is better quality because it's newer, obviously, mm. um, I think, than um, uh, Avatar. But it's cool. I, I like what I liked about it is the story didn't end. So, you know, I could see what happened later on. Yeah, what, how the the effects of what these people did in the original series, how did that pan out 80 years on? I will say season two, uh, different animation studio takes over, so it becomes noticeably worse. But mm. And uh, it's not a great uh, – season two is not great. It's probably the worst out of all those shows. But um, season three, my favorite. That's That show has a greater degree and like variance of quality than the first series. But mm -hmm. I think the highs are like so much higher. Really love that those two shows. By the way, side note, I couldn't help but say because, you know, martial arts guy fan, um, you know that the bending styles, they all like correlate to a different martial art in real life. Really? Yeah. Uh, I think Bagua is the basis for uh, air bending. Hunga is the uh, basis for uh, earth bending. I think like regular, like kind of northern kung fu uh wuxia is the basis of firebending plus karate and um waterbending is like tai chi movements and then you okay. get the little variants like uh toff her style of bending is like southern praying mantis uh because she's blind you know gotcha. uh, yeah brilliant brilliant stuff like that's such a well-realized world i i really love that franchise all right so, the, so actually, you know, last night, Daniel and I recorded a podcast and like, I was like, I don't have anything to recommend. I've just been watching stuff from this that like, I, I don't even know if I told you, Monique, I'm like, I, I'm volunteering for the Palm Beach Jewish Film Festival next year. And I'm like serving on the screening committee where like, I'm watching like movies that might be played at the Jewish Film Festival next year. And like, we do monthly Zoom meetings to decide if we're going to like, and tell, and tell the, tell the kind of the directors of the Palm Beach Jewish Federation, like, Hey, you should, uh, or their culture division, like, Hey, you should, yeah, this movie's good. This one's not, it should be in the festival. It shouldn't, I don't know if they, how they ultimately make the decision, but we, I, we get to have some input. And I was just like, I, I keep saying on the podcast, I've been watching less stuff recently. Cause like, I just, I, I just don't know when anyone's going to get to watch this. I don't know if I should even recommend something, but like last night after Daniel and I recorded, I watched like probably the best one I've watched in the two months I've been doing this. And it's a movie that at, least, it, at the very least has a couple of letterbox reviews and like a couple of Rotten Tomatoes reviews. So I think it might be like at some point actually like closer to coming out than some of the other stuff. Cause it's not going to be like have its debut at the Palm Beach Jewish film festival. It's a movie called, it's an Israeli movie called delegation. Uh, and it, it has a 2023 release date, but like it played somewhere in like February or March, according to Rotten Tomatoes. And it's literally about a delegation of high school students from Israel that go to Poland on like a on like a class trip to tour concentration camps but like it's oh. not really about them going to the concentration camps it's about all like the teenage drama they get into while they're on the concentration camp tour trip 
And like, so it's, it, it's kind of like they, they keep like all of a sudden they're coming out of their boy girl drama or they're like, we're, we're partying at, in between stops of concentration camps. Like, Oh shit. Now we got to go to Auschwitz. And oh, it's like, yeah. So it's actually like really interesting. To like, is it and, played and, and like a comedy parts of it, but it's more of like a, I'd say it's, I'd say it's like almost like a, you know, a, I don't even want to say PG 13 version. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a, a less graphic, explicit, dark euphoria almost. Like it's more like that where there might be some funny moments, but it's not always played. It's not really played for laughs though. There are some like moment, there are definite moments of levity where like this, mm. like stupid high school drama is just going on and like stuff happens. It's funny. Um, and, and I, I just thought it really kind of captured the energy of being on like a class trip really well. But like one of the, one of the three main characters is one of the students and his, his grandpa is like a Holocaust survivor that is like on the trip is like supposed to be like, Oh, here's like a guide to like, kind of talk about what's going on here. And, uh, into like about what his firsthand experiences were. So it's like, it's like going back to serious stuff, but then the kids are just doing like the most stupid, like 18, 17 year old shit mm. all, all in the background the whole time. And it, I just thought it kind of like captured its tone very well about like what it might be like for some high schoolers, but like how at certain points things might kind of catch them in uh, actually like hit them in a, in, in a serious spot. And I thought, I thought it really balanced it well. And it's probably, I've, I've probably watched over 20 movies for this thing so far, and it might be the best one yet. And I think at some point people might have a chance to watch it. It's called delegation. And I, I would think it might become more widely available at some point in America in the next four months or so. And if not, like at least I know folks in Palm Beach County will hopefully have a chance to watch it next January and February. Um, but yeah, that's about that's about all we have for today on the podcast. Coming up next week, I think we're going to have an episode on a haunting in Venice with our friend Fred. Uh, but before we get out of here, uh, Daniel, uh, anything you want to plug as far as uh, what you got going on right now with all your uh, your side hustle work? Well, you know, Disappointment Media, you can catch my reviews there. I, this By the time this comes out, I think I should be in the midst of uh, Fantastic Fest. Fantastic Fest. Yeah. So, you know, uh, look out for that. All right. There you go. And you can get Daniel on Letterboxd at Felonious Funk. Uh, Monique, we, we, we usually have people plug their social media here. Do you want to plug your Instagram, even though it's not exactly movie themed? Yeah, this has nothing to do with movies. My uh, Instagram is where is Mo drinking? Literally, where <laughs> like is Mo drinking? People do where's, but it's not that. It's where is Mo drinking? If you hmm. want to see uh, cool spots to drink around Palm Beach County and uh, lots of brunch pictures, um, I have very patient friends who let me uh, take photos before uh, – they start eating any meal. Uh, so it's always cool stuff to watch in the feed. Check it out. There you go. Yeah. And like, I mean, it's, it, it, it's a, it, it's a fun time. Monique, Monique could have a second career as a food photographer in addition to a lawyer. If she wanted to food and drink photographer, I should say, uh, you know, if you just want to see what all the old fashions look like in our parts, you know, Genuinely, this, by the way, I'm, I'm looking at that Instagram page now and it looks delectable. Like I'm like, damn, like, next you got to show me these spots, man. Next time I'm in the area. Yeah. Come on go. down. There you go. There you go. And as usual, I'm Josh Renovoy on both Twitter and Letterboxd, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. And on uh, uh, the podcast, Twitter is at Real Movie Pod. Podcast email is therealmoviepod at gmail.com. Again, thanks again to Monique and Daniel for joining me. Thanks to all of you for listening, and we'll see you next time.